Well, I want to teach you a lesson I had to learn, and the lesson is very simple. It's this. Nothing lasts forever. All right, some of us shake our heads. Yeah, the older we get, we shake our heads more, right? Nothing lasts forever. And I remember my parents and my grandparents and some people I respected growing up teaching me that youthfulness doesn't last forever. They always said that. I didn't understand uh, what they meant until later on, like recently. All right, the a couple of days ago, we uh, moved two cords of wood at our house, and I'm still filling the two cords of wood that I moved. So youthfulness does not last forever as much as we want it to. Uh, it doesn't stick there. Nothing lasts forever. It doesn't matter what it is. If you talk about fame, I ask you to name some of the famous movie stars from the 1930s and 1940s. Maybe we can. Maybe more likely we can't as well. Or maybe famous sports stars of that same era. And, and really the only ones that we can really think of are the legends and the myths of that time period. Even fame la doesn't last forever. Money doesn't last forever. Just look at a number of bank accounts, right? Money doesn't seem to last as long as we would like it at times. All right, we can... Uh, talk about some of the rich people in the world, and even them, there's some families that were rich at one point in time that are not anymore for one reason or another. Wealth does not last forever. There's a lot of things in this world that do, does not last forever. Our houses need repaired or, or fixed up. Our cars need maintenance on it in order to keep it running uh, or to keep it from rusting like my truck is. I, there are things that we have in this world that we desire, that we need, and it doesn't last as long as we like. I think the psalmist of Psalm 119 understood this concept with the verses that he uh, penned that we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bibles, so open up to Psalm 119. We're going to be reading verses 89 through 96. And in talking about nothing lasting forever, I promise you, this sermon series will not last forever. All right, this is the sixth one that we've looked at in Psalm 119. We could make it last as long as 22 weeks, but I'm going to be nice to you and end it in a couple more weeks. So, all right, so here is uh, verses 89 through 96. Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You established the earth, and it endures. Your laws endure to this day, for all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. Uh, in this section, I see two different truths that we have to uh, understand and believe in, and I see one application that those truths mean for us. And so we want to kind of look at that today. Uh, the first truth is this, God's words are eternal. And the psalmist is going to kind of explain that in a couple of different ways, giving examples as he goes. The first example that he gives is creation itself. If you look at the first uh, three verses, at the very end of those three verses, he talks about the heavens, he talks about the earth, and he talks about all things, all creation. 
And so creation stands as the center precept of understanding this thing. God's words are eternal. Creation is amazing. And if we were to look into the world, we see a number of different beautiful things that may leave us standing in awe. I remember in college going with my parents to Arizona area to the uh, Grand Canyon. If you've never been to the Grand Canyon, I highly suggest it because words cannot do it justice. When I looked out upon the Grand Canyon, my, my eyes just could not comprehend what I was looking at. It looked like someone had come and placed a painting right in front of me. And I couldn't understand the depth. My, my sensory in my brain just could not comprehend how amazing and awesome this was. It was beautiful. It left me in awe. God's creation is marvelous. How many of us ever go out outside of the cities and just look up at the stars and marvel? If I had the option, if, if I didn't live in the city and I lived out in the country, I'm sure I would be spending a lot of time just staring up and looking. God's creation is, is beautiful, and the thing is, is that God's creation is here because God spoke. And creation is God saying, let it there be, and there was. So in a sense, creation is the very words of God. Creation is this thing that we have to understand when we understand that the words of God are eternal, because as long as we've been here, there's been a creation. And even when Jesus comes back, there will be a creation. God spoke, and it always will be from now into eternity. God's words are eternal. Paul understood this a little bit when he talked about in, Galatia, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, these words. He says, for in him, talking about Jesus but applying to God, for in God all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. God created all things, and he created them all for his glory. He created it for himself, and all things we exist even now because God holds it all together. It's an amazing and beautiful thing that we have to understand. And creation shows us that the words of God, they are eternal. The other thing that he says about the eternal quality of the words of God is the faithfulness of God. He says, if you have any questions about whether God's words are eternal, just look at how faithful he has been and will be. It doesn't take us very long to read the Old Testament to realize the faithfulness of God. I mean, God basically comes to a man by the name of Abraham and tells him, hey, if you're faithful to me, I'll be faithful to you. And so Abraham, living by faith, ends up having uh, these descendants that end up being the people of Israel. And as God deals with the people of Israel, he shows his faithfulness to them over and over again. Uh, the Israelites, they had moved into Egypt because of a famine in the land that they were living in. And as they were there, they grew in numbers to the point that the Egyptians, pharaohs, were, were afraid of the Hebrews. 
And we're not really told why they're afraid, but it probably has to do with the fact that the pharaohs had overthrown the other kings, and therefore they're probably afraid about these people that weren't Egyptians living in their land, possibly overthrowing them. And so they enslave the Hebrew people, the Israelites, and they make them do a number of different building projects. And even despite all the harsh treatments, they continue to grow in numbers to the point that the Egyptians demanded the Israelites to throw all their male-born children into the Nile River to drown or be eaten by crocodiles. A terrible situation. And in the midst of this, God comes to the Israelites and he says this in Exodus chapter 6. He says, speaking to Moses, therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgments. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So God basically comes to the Israelites and he tells them the same promise that he's already given Abraham, that you are going to be my people and I will be your God. And then he does marvelous things. He stretches out his hands and strikes down the Egyptians with ten marvelous miracle plagues. And the Egyptians basically are decimated as a result of it. And the Hebrews are allowed to be set free. They are given freedom. They're given this land flowing with milk and honey, a land they didn't have to build cities or vineyards in. And everything was taken care of. It was cultivated. All they had to do was possess it. They are, they are taken care of as they're wandering through the deserts. When they need food, God provides it. When they need water, God gives it to them. God protects them and provides for them throughout the entire period of their history. And then we get into this vicious cycle that happens over and over again. The cycle is basically this, right? The Egypt, Israelites, they follow God. Until they get to a point where they're like, I don't know if we really need God. And so then they turn away from God to idols. And so God says, well, since you're doing that, I'm not longer going to protect you from all the bad things. And so he punishes them with different uh, nations. And so that as in the middle of their affliction, they cry out to God and say, God, we need you again. And God protects them. And they come back over here to where they follow God. And it goes over and over again for a thousand years. Now understand that a thousand years. God allows this to happen. If you need a definition for patience, that's it. Okay, I, I, I have some patience, but I don't have some patience with my kids when they constantly do the same thing over and over again. So, for instance, uh, one of my daughters, uh, she has been told over and over again that when you are done eating, you take your plate to the sink. Scrape any food in the trash that needs to be scraped, but take your plate to the sink. And it it, it doesn't fail. Every meal, she will get up and she'll go somewhere else. And so we'll call her back in and say, hey, come, please take care of this. Why didn't you do this when you got up in the first place? And she has excuses after excuses after excuses. And it's just to the point where I don't care. I don't care what you're thinking. Just do it. All right, so I don't have a lot of patience. And it's only been... I'm not going to tell you how many years, All right, at least seven, right? It's already been at least seven years, and this still is a problem. So I can't imagine God looking at the Israelites and being like, man, you're doing it again, and, and uh, allowing it for a thousand years. Until finally he says, you know what? You guys got to leave this land. And he sends them into exile, 
and he punishes them so that they understand. But even as they're going into exile, even as they're being punished, God is waiting in the, in the court, re- ready to jump in and say, I'm here for you. I mean, that's, that's the beautiful thing about this whole cycle is that even though the Israelites were not faithful, God was there waiting for them to say, God, help us. He was waiting to jump in because even though they were not faithful, God was faithful and is faithful. And in our lives, we just need to look at the faithfulness of God to understand that God's words are eternal. See, God was faithful because he had promised the Israelites way back to Abraham and and even to the time of Moses where he said, you are going to be my people and I will be your God. He had promised that he would be there to protect them, to show them mercy, to, to provide for them. And even though they had turned away from him, he was still there to protect them and provide for them. Because his promises, the words that he had spoken, stand forever. The faithfulness of God and the creation of God shows us that the God's words are everlasting. And this is important in our time that we live in because we live in a world that is changing at a rapid pace. And if you, like Doug said, if you don't believe that, buy a computer, buy a cell phone, and we'll see you again in three months. We live in a world whose values are changing on a rapid basis. We live in a world where everything around us just creates this perfect storm in our lives. And it's great to have something that not only is eternal, but is constant. That's going to be the same tomorrow as it will be today as it was yesterday. And having that rock to sit on in the midst of the turmoil of change is something that we need in our lives. So the eternal nature of the word of God is important and it stands firm. So the first truth is God's words are eternal. The second truth is this, that God's words bring salvation. Uh, in, In the next five verses or so, 91 through 95, he talks about this idea of God's words bringing salvation to his life. And he gives, he gives a couple of different areas to kind of explain this. One area is salvation when affliction comes in life. When, when there's just bad things happening to you and, and there's just no reason for them to be there, and that's a tough time. You know, it's that time in your life where you don't feel like you really want to get up in the morning, right? For whatever reason, you just don't feel like you can take another step. And there's been times like that in my life. I remember my freshman year of college having one of those moments, some things happening uh, back home uh, between relationships I had there, along with being at college, which no one, if we're honest with ourselves, no one's really prepared to be living by themselves like that that early for that long a period of time. All right, and so there's just all these different mixtures of things. And I just got to the point in my life where I just didn't want to get out of bed. The only problem was I had a 7 o'clock class. And 7 o'clock classes are terrible. That's why they don't do them anymore at Central. 
right? But not only was it a seven o'clock class, but it was with this guy that had this grandfather voice, all right? And I can't tell you how many times I fell asleep in that class. <laughs> it was that, that place in my life where I didn't know where to go. And it's where I started to read more and, and I searched the Bible for comfort, for peace, for strength. And other times in my life where I've had this place, where I've been to the same place, this is where I go to find the promises of God because God's words are eternal. And when He promises to give us comfort, when He promises to protect us, when He promises to give us strength so that we can face tomorrow, they are promises that He will remain true to. Because He is faithful. Because his words never fail. And so there are times that we, as we're dealing with different things, whether it's loss of a loved one, whether it's depression, whatever it is, if we can turn to this, we can find strength to face tomorrow. The other thing that he says here is that he finds salvation from when wicked people are attacking him. No, not everybody in this world is a good person. And when, we, when wicked people attack us, if we have a strong foundation in the word of God, we can find salvation. We can get through those moments. I told you a story a couple of weeks ago about Howard Rutledge, the, the man that was shot down out of Vietnam and was a prisoner of war for seven years. Most of those seven years he was in solitary confinement because the Vietnamese understood that if they could break the spirit of the person, they would eventually die themselves. And so they would break the spirit of all these POWs and these people, he said, that would come out and they would just lie on the ground because they didn't want to do anything else and they would die. He said during that time, what got him through was remembering the scriptures he had read growing up. And his story is not unique. There are a lot of people within the communist world who were thrown in prison because of their faith, who remained firm because of the scriptures that they had memorized. One preacher talks about how he was tossed into prison. He had just finished memorizing a certain book of the Bible. And as he spent each day in prison, he would remember one of those verses. He would recall it and tell it to himself again. He would search it and meditate on it. He would even preach that passage to himself every single day for the, the entirety of his prison, and he said, that's what kept me going. Too often we, we do not value the word of God. Missionaries will tell you uh, over in China and the church that's underground that they'll bring these Bibles, the Chinese Bibles, and they'll bring one of them to the ch house church. And the house church will instantly open it up and start or start tearing the pages out, and they'll give it to everybody that's in the church. And they do this because they'll take the pages that they have, and they'll take it home, and they'll memorize the words, and they'll memorize however many pages it is, and they'll bring those pages back, and they'll trade it with one another so that they would eventually all have the Bible because it's that valuable to them. If I go to your homes... I almost bet you probably have a Bible per person, if not more. And if you don't, you easily have access to it on your smartphone. See, we, we have so much scripture within our society, within our church, that we do not value it enough. 
and we do not memorize it. But when we are facing difficulties in life, when wicked people are afflicting us, when we have these moments in our lives where we cannot take another step, what do we fall back on? What do you fall back on? The thing that will help us in the midst of the storm is the eternal word of God. And it will give us the strength and the ability to move forward. God's words are eternal. They bring salvation, and we need to read and study it and apply it to our lives because ultimately we can rely on God's eternal words. We can rely on his words to be our delight. Verse 92, the psalmist says, Your law, your words, Lord, are my delight. And I have to ask the question, is the Bible our delight? Or is it our chore? And too often in our lives, we, we view reading the Bible as a chore, something I have to do. I hate chores. I don't know about you, but I hate them, okay? Growing up, uh, I had a couple of chores. One of them that I remember despising uh, was feeding and watering our dogs. All right, my parents worked, and I, I just I didn't like dogs to begin with. I still don't necessarily like dogs that much, all right? But I, I, it's just not one of those things I didn't like to do, you know? They jumped on you, and it's just stop, okay? And so, so what I would do is I would come home, and I would try to convince my brother to do my chore for me. Or I would wait until I heard the garage door opening and then run out and make sure it was all done and say, yeah, it's been done for a while. No, I despised it. And I remember complaining about it and just not doing it sometimes. And I remember uh, a couple of uh, around Christmas time going to my mom and saying, mom, you know, I really want this. And my mom looked at me and said, you know what? I'd be more likely to give that to you if you actually fed the dogs. I was like, oh. And I did better after that point, you know, as much as a teenage boy could. But chores are viewed one way and delightful things are viewed another way. And so the question when it comes to reading our Bibles is this. Do we view it as a chore in life? Or is it a delight? An opportunity for us to know more about the God that is faithful the God who is eternal, the God that loves us and sent Jesus to die for our death, for our sins. How do we view this eternal word of God? We also see that the word of God is there so that we can gain wisdom. Verse 95, the very end of it, he says, I will ponder your statutes. And that word for ponder is, is the word for gaining knowledge. And not just knowledge of statistics, not just knowledge that Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is gaining knowledge so that we can apply it to our lives. What we would call wisdom. And the Word of God is something we can rely on in order to know how to face what we are facing. There are so many stories in the Bible 
that even though you are going through a certain situation in your life, more than likely there is a story in the Bible very similar, probably not exactly the same, but pretty similar. There are stories of spouses who fight. There are stories of children not getting along with their parents. There's stories of brothers and sisters selling each other into slavery. Talk about messed up. There's so many family dynamics in the Bible that you wonder how we ever survived as a species. There's stories of people dealing with health issues that no one could, could heal. There's stories of losing your child of losing your mom, of losing your dad. And in these stories, there are ways that we're seeing that, are, that was handled correctly, and there are a lot of ways of where they just messed up. And if we read these stories, recognizing that our situation is not that much different from theirs, we can gain wisdom in how to live. The eternal words of God, they... They are there to show us how we are to live in this world. And to know what it means to live in this world means to know the words of God. We can rely on it for wisdom, and we can rely on it as a delight to study and to read. The last verse there, he says this. He says, to all perfection I see a limit. Uh, that's essentially what I said there at the beginning, right? Nothing lasts forever. The word limit, uh, it's not just that there's a bar that's finally reached, but rather it's talking about an end. Eventually, it ends. Beauty fades. Wealth disappears. All these things that we seek for, that we say this is what a perfect person is, it eventually will end. That person will die. But there's one thing he says that is endless. It's the commands of God. Long after we're gone, this will remain. This has been around for years and will remain so. And in it we can find the truths of God. In it, we find that God's words are eternal and everlasting. In it, we find salvation, not just for our sins, but salvation of getting through the rough patches in our lives. And we can rely on it even when everything else disappears in our lives. Will you pray with me? Dear God, we are amazed at your words and the power that they have Father, in our lives, help us to not rely on ourselves. Help us not to, to seek success through what we do, but rather help us to rely on your words, on your promises, on your faithfulness. Father God, we are amazed at your power. We're amazed that you gave life to all that we see. Thank you, God, for being faithful when we are not. Thank you for Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen.